So what about the Asbury Revival? This uh, revival in Asbury University in Kentucky, this Methodist University, I believe it's a Methodist University, um, that uh, had a chapel service on the 8th of February. And uh, at the end of the service, where the pastor had been talking about the love of God, the love of Christ, uh, as we experience it, but also as we live it out. And uh, the worship uh, began after that, and uh, they have not stopped. They've been going for about 12 or maybe 13 days now. I was told there'd be no math. Uh, but anyway, so this has been going on now for a little bit. And um, uh, I haven't really spoken to it yet. Um, I've been asked about it a number of times. Uh, a few folks have asked what I think about it. And uh, I've kind of been withholding judgment uh, because I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. And lots of people are researching it, posting on it. So I'm just trying to take in the information that's becoming available. I have not gone there. Uh, about the only thing that I've really posted in regard to it was actually a video by Elisa Childers, uh, who is a really, really great podcaster. And she's very thoughtful, uh, loves the Lord, brings a lot of scripture to bear on her perspective on things. It's really, uh, it, was, it was a very good podcast. She's talking about sort of the where we are on this thing. And uh, so I posted it on our Telegram uh, page, Parsons Pad, uh, our Telegram. And so, uh, but that's really about it. I haven't really gone and uh, done much about it. So, uh, but since I was asked about it, and actually one comment in particular caused me to think maybe I would go ahead and just say something. But uh, the comment basically was, why aren't more Calvary Chapel pastors saying something about this? Now, I don't know how many have or haven't, um, uh, but I would imagine like myself, there's just sort of a, uh, greater desire to, to just sort of wait and see what happens and get a sense of, of things uh, as they unfold. It's always difficult to get a sense of what's happening when you're in the midst of it. And uh, oftentimes a far uh, better perspective is developed after, you know, in retrospect and that kind of thing. Uh, and that is kind of the nature of revivals in general. Um, you know, when you, uh, you know, we know a lot about um, whether or not a revival in days past was a move of God based on the fruit that is born uh, as a result of that. You know, you think of the Welsh revival or any of those other uh, great revivals of, of previous times. And uh, you can look back on it and say, oh, well, here's here were the characteristics of that. And uh, and typically, by the way, in, in regard to the characteristics, typically there's uh, there's a lot of repentance. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of seeking God. There's a very strong element of, uh, of biblical, uh, evangelistic biblical preaching. Um, and so, you know, to, to say whether or not this is a move of God, um, I, I would not necessarily just give a full-throated endorsement to something like this unless I had really sure reason, biblically speaking, to do so. And so there's kind of two camps. One, again, are those that uh, embrace this thing fully. Others are those who are taking maybe a more skeptical view. Uh, just to see what this is first, and 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 over a little bit of time, um, you know, revivals by definition uh, require some time to judge whether or not they uh, they were you know successful or whether they may be more a move of God. And so, um, so I'm just kind of you know, it's actually a little bit like when Jesus talked about a tree being able to judge a tree by its fruit. Uh, it is interesting. He didn't say you know a carpenter's work or a building program or something like that. He took something very natural that takes time for it to develop and to grow and to either become healthy or unhealthy and to, and to bear fruit or not, uh, good, fruit, good fruit or bad. And then after some time passes, you can then see after it is fully developed, uh, whether or not it's a good tree or bad tree. And I think there's something similar to that in terms of understanding 
whether or not um, this is a, uh, is, it is a move of God or not. Um, now, there are those who already would probably take some exception with me for even challenging it and that kind of thing. But I would suggest that you and I actually have a responsibility to test these things and not necessarily just to um, embrace them without them, you know, um, passing a biblical litmus test. You know, matter of fact, you know, John, the apostle in, uh, in dealing with false teaching, in particular in Gnosticism, but he made the statement in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, where he said that we are to test the spirits to see whether they're of God. And he goes on and gives some, some particulars in regard to Gnosticism and how to judge whether or not uh, someone is a true teacher or a false teacher based on the question of whether Jesus came in the flesh. And so in particular, he's dealing with Gnosticism, but in principle, the idea of testing the spirits to see whether they're of God is something that is clearly something to be applied in any situation where something is uh, purportedly claiming to be a move of God. That's just, that's just our biblical responsibility to check those things. Um, Paul would talk about in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 how there's going to come a time when people are going to raise up, granted he says teachers, but those who will basically tickle the ears of the hearers by telling them what they want to hear. Well, I would say there is sort of a, a, a parallel concept here in the idea that if you want to hear something, if you want to believe something is of God, uh, whether it's a teacher or whether it's maybe a movement or whether it's maybe even a, um, you know, a, a revival, um, that there is the potential that this thing is being raised up and propped up because there's a desire to see it, you know, more than in fact it being an actual legitimate move of God. I'm not suggesting one way or the other in this particular case. I'm just saying that if we don't allow for the possibility that, um, that this may or may not, that this either may or may not be uh, a legitimate move of the Holy Spirit, then we're kind of setting aside our biblical discernment because we want it to be true. Uh, I want it to be true. I want to find out that this thing has brought repentance and change, tons of salvation. I want to know that people are um, worshiping God in spirit and truth and drawing close and sharing their faith and people are coming to faith. Uh, I want that to be the case here. I desire to see that happen, but I'm always desiring for that to happen, whether or not this thing's going on. Um, my hope is that this is something that falls in line with that which we're told to pray for uh, by the Lord himself, you know, and even encouraged um, to seek after scripturally. And so, uh, but the question about whether or not it is, is one that has to be answered first. And I'm not sure we can fully answer that one in our day. But I will say this, you know, uh, Paul warned about it. Jesus warned about it. Uh, the idea of false teaching, false Christs, the idea of there being uh, deception and that kind of thing in the last days that would... Uh, matter of fact, Jesus himself said there would be such deception in those days that if it were possible, even the elect themselves uh, would be deceived. And so, um, you know, just to, we don't want to just lightly go into something and assume it's a move of God because it, it, it may appear on the surface. You might remember Joshua and the Gibeonites, how they took one look at it and said, okay, I like how the King James puts it, uh, where they took stock of their victuals. They uh, took a look at the bread that was moldy because they, uh, the Gibeonites had made it look moldy. Uh, took a look at their clothes. They were all tattered because the Gibeonites had tried to make their clothes look all tattered so that they could you know, fool the Israelites into entering into a covenant with them. And then it turned out that they had lied. It was mistaken. It was something uh, the, the Israelites were mistaken. And the leadership, Joshua, and his leaders were mistaken. Well, I'm a leader in, in our church, and I feel a responsibility to the body of Christ, and so I don't want to be one who makes the mistake that Joshua made in that example, right? I mean, sometimes we learn great examples, and sometimes we learn from uh, things that we shouldn't do. So I don't want to just sort of um, 
uh, indiscriminately just believe something's a work of God without it being up to snuff, biblically speaking. Um, uh, you know, you think about the devil in the Garden of Eden. When he made the forbidden fruit, he made that fruit that God said not to eat. He made it look attractive enough for Eve to eat it, you know, and then doctor it up. But he basically deceived her into thinking it was a better idea to go ahead and not believe what God had said, but to go ahead and just take it. And so I just want to make sure that we don't, um, you know, of course we can go on about how Satan disguised himself as a messenger of light and all that kind of thing. There's, I'm not saying the people at uh, Asbury are messengers of darkness, uh, hiding and masquerading as angels of light or anything like that. I'm just saying that the Bible gives us the capacity to cultivate biblical discernment by virtue of knowing the word of God and then judging that which claims to be a work of God by that standard. And so I just think we would, uh, I would, I don't just think, I know, and I would suggest uh, and, and urge you strongly to have a, uh, a biblically informed critique of this movement and to develop it. And if you can't give one, then let this thing unfold for longer and let, uh, let it develop. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I have seen a lot of people post on things that are concerning, you know, and, and I haven't had a chance to look into all these things, so I won't mention them necessarily yet, because I'd like to investigate a little bit more myself. Uh, I will just mention <coughs> a couple of things that um, that that I'm I'm wondering about. Uh, I, I find interesting. One is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the characteristics of um, so often of revival and the move of the Holy Spirit revolves around uh, solid biblical preaching evangelistic Bible preaching, uh, where the truth of God is given front and center kind of, uh, you know, attention, and it's preached, and it's preached powerfully, and lives are transformed. Um, this movement so far, I don't know that there hasn't been any uh, sound, powerful Bible preaching, like evangelism and such, but I have not really seen any of it, and I've been looking at videos and watching things. And pretty much every video that I've seen so far has had to do with them simply singing in the sanctuary. Um, now, singing and worship and seeking God that way, that, that could be a very legitimate expression. Again, I'm not, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that, you know, a pretty significant uh, evidence of a move of the Holy Spirit has not come across my eyes yet. I've not found it yet. And, and, and if, you, if you're aware of where the gospel's been preached, uh, clearly preached in that movement. I'd love to watch a video of it so you can share a link in the comments section if you don't mind. Um, again, I'm researching it. I'm not trying to critique one way or the other and say this is or isn't. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Uh, there have been those that have raised concerns over some of the um, uh, uh, some of the leadership uh, and even in the college, you know, sort of endorsing some rather questionable spiritual kinds of things and that I've not looked into it enough to know for sure, uh, but it has called into question whether or not this is a legitimate revival. Would God really uh, bring revival to a place that is steeped in that kind of thing? Well, I, I would think, well, yeah, that's a primary, that's a prime place to drop revival, you know, just change the hearts and minds of the people that are into those things, move them away from them and, and have their lives changed and sharing a legitimate faith after that. Who knows? I'm just saying, I, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, one other concern before I move on is that I have what I have seen there uh, or from there are videos by uh, you know some at least one prominent New Apostolic Reformation sort of you know quote unquote prophet evan um, evangelist 
apostle kind of person. Um, I don't know if he called himself an apostle necessarily, but Todd White. Um, at the, you know, sort of on the outside of the thing and just talking about how he really feels the Lord moving and, and he knows there's going to be nationwide revival and he's, this is it and everything. And some others like him, sort of of that mindset, have uh, also gone on and suddenly now they're having, they're talking about the dreams they've been having about revival and now this they believe this is it. Um, you know, uh, Todd White is a false teacher. I mean, that's being generous and mild about it. Um, this is not somebody you should ever listen to. It's not somebody you should take your cues from. It's not somebody you should ever come in contact with. You should avoid him like, like any sheep should avoid a wolf, you know? And so for a wolf to feel completely comfortable there and feel like the Lord is moving doesn't really give me the sense that that's a move of God as much as it's, you know, either he is so completely calloused from the truth or, you know, or maybe this is indicative of something. I don't know. Again, jury's out in my mind on that. So um, one other thing I'll bring to bear on this as far as, you know, I've been talking about criticisms. Let me uh, let me go out on a limb a little bit here in regard to, um, you know, being patient with this movement to see if it becomes something. Uh, I'm part of a movement called Calvary Chapel. Some of you know this if you've uh, looked into this podcast. And uh, I've mentioned it obviously many times, but, um, but in any case, there's... Uh, that's the body of churches I come from. That's part, that's what I'm in. That's where my, you know, my doctrinal stands line up with and everything. So um, Calvary Chapel uh, was born of a movement that came under a lot of criticism. Uh, Calvary Chapel was born in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, among a movement of hippies who were pretty much outcast by all the churches, including, by the way, uh, Chuck Smith, who's the, the founding pastor of, Calvary Ch of the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, he was not really keen on, on uh, sort of going after these, you know, these lost kids and everything either. It was actually his wife, Kay, that developed a burden for them and began to pray that they'd be able to meet one of these hippies and begin to talk to them and find out how they might you know, minister to them and that. Well, Chuck was a little bit reluctant about that. Uh, matter of fact, <coughs> excuse me, in a couple of days, uh, there's a movie coming out called Jesus Revolution, and it, it has a lot to do with that period of time in the Calvary Chapel movement. Kelsey Brammer is actually playing the part of Chuck Smith in the movie, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm hoping it's good. You know, I've, obviously I've got a little bit of a bias. I'm hoping this is a good portrayal of kind of uh, the churches that I'm part of. But, but in any case, um, the movement when it started. Uh, you know, I just mentioned like Todd White and some others that are kind of questionable associations with a movement. Well, you know, when, when Chuck uh, and, uh, and Kay and, and uh, you know, started opening the church up to, you know, these kids that were barefoot, long haired, coming off of drugs and just not showering and all kinds of stuff. You know, people that, you know, pretty much all churches were not really uh, wanting to embrace. They were bad for the church in their minds. Well, when Chuck began to open the door uh, and, and these kids started to come in and they started getting saved, he would, it, it was it was the kind of thing where it wasn't, uh, Chuck wasn't having a series of revival meetings to start this. He was just teaching the Bible and these people were coming and they were hearing the word of God and they were being changed and they were getting saved and they'd start getting their friends. And all of a sudden all these, you know, the church started getting filled up with hippies and they started writing music and they started singing these songs of worship and all of like original music and everything. Um, 
you know, well, during that time, uh, and Chuck had come out of a Pentecostal background, a four-square denomination, and uh, and so his background was, you know, flippity-flopping, charismatic kind of, a, you know, a sort of a, an approach. I don't know if he actually did any flippity-flopping in or not, but, uh, but sort of a, a strong charismatic background, I'll just say that. And... Uh, and so when the movement started going, he actually had a bunch of these kids with him on the Catherine Kuhlman show or a show that she was hosting. Well, Catherine Kuhlman was another false prophetess and that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, at the time, no doubt there were, well, I know for sure, there were a lot of mainline churches, a lot of pastors at the time that really took exception with that. Like, what are you doing? And, um, but over time, and this is my point, over time, that movement bore itself out as a legitimate move of the Holy Spirit. Was it messy? Yeah, it was messy. Really messy. Uh, there are a lot of people at the time, and even maybe today, who would criticize Chuck for being as open as he was to allow the space for the, the, the Holy Spirit to move in the lives of these young people. They made mistakes. They, uh, you know, I mean, if, if they had planned it out, they wouldn't have planned it this way. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit moved. And the reason we can say that with confidence is not because it was just a really exciting time then, but over generations, churches have been planted. Some of the largest churches in America, not that I'm a numbers guy, but uh, lots and lots of people have come to faith and lots and lots of people have fallen in love with the Word of God because of the ministry that grew out of that time. And Chuck was in right, really kind of at the heart of that movement. He's not the only one that was doing that. There are lots of other churches that uh, that were involved in that same period of time doing similar kinds of things but Chuck was right there at the heart of it you can't really have that discussion without including Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel movement well I'm a third generation Calvary Chapel pastor not my not my father and grandfather kind of thing but my pastor uh, got saved under that that period of time and I got saved under his ministry then and um, you know we're we're propagating the teaching of the Word of God and we're trusting in the Holy Spirit to bring fruit we're, um, we're we're worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth you know it's like we're we're continuing on a legacy that started in a really messy way but became something uh, really special and so over time we realized that this was a legit move of the Spirit at the time People no doubt questioned it just like we are now with this. So that's why I say for my part, I think it would be easy for me to go on a tangent and just come up with all the critiques of this movement. Uh, I don't know that I'm calling it a revival yet because again, I don't know if it actually is a revival or not. Um, we'll see if we see people coming to a saving faith. In our day, by the way, probably more so than even in, in the 60s and 70s, uh, there is a lot of false gospel that is so close in so many ways and intentionally so to the true gospel that I think a lot of people are um, putting their trust in a gospel that may not be true. So it'll be interesting to watch like what comes of this. If this is just sort of a feel-good gospel, a, a workspace gospel, what, what, come, what end of the spectrum this comes out at. But if it comes out with the biblical gospel, the finished work of Christ, people's lives are changed and we begin to see you know um, pockets of culture affected by that uh, like literally in a biblical Christ-honoring way then we might similarly look back on this movement and say well okay I, I wasn't so sure about it at the beginning and it certainly wasn't the way that I would have imagined but maybe it is 
So we'll find out, time will tell. I'm gonna continue to withhold judgment uh, for the time being. Uh, and just sort of maybe close up with this thought. And this is um, um, it's from Acts chapter five. You might remember if you've read uh, in the book of Acts where Gamaliel uh, is sort of presiding, or he's sort of the respected elder among the elders of the leadership of Israel. And they are, uh, they're, you know, the leaders are talking about killing the apostles and just destroying the disciples because there's this movement started behind this carpenter, Jesus, and this whole thing. And Gamaliel speaks up in the midst of that meeting, and he says, you know, guys, uh, this is even the sub-message version of a paraphrase, but he says, you know, guys, there was a, there was a guy named Thutis who rose up and uh, tried to get a following after himself. As a matter of fact, another guy named Judas of... Um, of Galilee uh, also stepped up trying to garner a following and all that kind of thing. And both of these movements basically amounted to nothing. He said, you know, if this movement is of man, then it will die out. It will croak. It won't make, it won't last. It will just sort of, you know, die off and you won't have to waste your, your breath trying to stop it. On the other hand, if it is a move of God, then if you try to stop it, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. And so they thought this was wise. They decided to go ahead and let it go. So, and of course, obviously it was, it was the move of God, right? So, <coughs> so I'm gonna kind of park it right there and just sort of say, well, uh, there are some legitimate concerns that I have about it that I'm researching and want to find out more about. I'm not minimizing those. And I'm not uh, saying that it's not dangerous to not call some of that stuff out. I'm, I did call out a couple things that I feel like are legitimate concerns to look at but there are other things that right now from my understanding are just sort of reports from people that are critiquing it I need to do my own homework and look into it and find out for sure but I guess I would just leave this with a similar sentiment if this is a man uh, and it's going to somehow draw people away from God then it'll peter out it'll you know God will stop it uh, or he'll use it you know as uh, you know in some way to accomplish his purposes but if it is in fact something that is a move of the Holy Spirit, uh, and again, I'm hoping it is, I'm not blindly hoping it is, but I am hoping that it is. Again, being part of the movement that I am, I know the potential is there for something like this to, to happen. Um, but if it is a move of God, then, then you know, to criticize it unjustly or in an unbiblical way is always wrong, but in time we'll, we'll know. You know, uh, we ought to speak against those things that are clearly unbiblical, no doubt. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not trying to give space for apostasy or anything like that, if there is apostasy going on there, and there may be. But what I am saying is that until we know for sure, I'm going to withhold some judgment on that. I don't know that I'm going to jump out too far on it until I know for sure. Um, and again, we'll only know that as this tree matures a little bit and bears fruit or dies off. It just sort of is a passing blip on the radar that never really, you know, amounted to much other than a momentary thing. Uh, I guess I guess I will. Actually, I, I realize now I, I did mean to in, inject one other criticism that I have. Um, I can, that may be a little bit strong, but it's kind of a criticism. It's more a concern. Uh, because this is a movement that is predominantly been marked by sort of an ongoing worship service where... It's mostly about the singing and the music and that kind of thing. Uh, a number of times when I've pulled up, like the feed on it or caught a, a latest video on it or something, 
it does seem as though a lot of the music that is being played uh, is sort of some of that the worship that's more on the questionable side, you know, sort of the where the authors of these songs have some aberrant theologies in that even though the songs are very catchy and sometimes the lyrical content is just fine in them, uh, the source of these songs uh, is, is questionable to say the least, but they seem to be very prominently at the heart of this young movement, uh, this movement of young people uh, at Asbury. And so, um, you know, the reason I find it concerning is primarily is because these songs are intended to drive an emotional response. Uh, there, I don't think there's any arguing that. I mean, that should be obvious. They they follow a very formulaic approach. They start subtle. They begin to move and build up and build a lot of emotion. Then they drop off and sort of leave you floating in this sort of sense of, of worship kind of thing. And they're, it's very designed. Uh, it's it's uh, I've written songs in my life, and I, I understand that, that concept and that theory behind that. Uh, I'm not a very good songwriter, so I've never done that with any, anything you've ever heard. But... Uh, but you know, it's 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 a powerful medium to, uh, to to express ideas, and when you do it with you know crescendos and drop-offs and all these kinds of things, it can have a very powerful effect on somebody. I like to say that when I hear Whitney Houston's version of Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You," I get choked up. It is an absolutely breathtakingly beautiful song, um, but uh, but it's not a spiritual thing. I mean, it's not like it's you know, the Holy Spirit is making me cry over that. Leading me to, to be emotional about it, and so you know the the, the music that un, that's been underlying a significant enough portion of it, where it seems like that's all I'm hearing being sung, is enough cause for concern. To because again, the is this something that are people being convicted by the word of God, or are they just sort of being emotionally manipulated through the music and and that kind of thing? Um, one last thing on that, um, you know, there's there's an expectation with those songs that you would be emotionally moved. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes that sort of feeds that kind of thing. Is that what's going on in Asbury? I don't know for sure. And so I don't want to say, but these are concerns that I think are fair to raise and to ask. And so, um, anyway, so for what it's worth, there's my, uh, my not fully informed uh, uh, and intentionally expressed and laid out my cards on the table uh, non-completely uh, informed perspective on that. Uh, I'm going to withhold judgment and wait and see what happens over time. It would not surprise me if something implodes within that uh, and we just see that, okay, well, this was just sort of a thing. But if it turns out to be a move of God, then I'll be praying for it, you know, and continue to pray that God will move and we'd see a, a genuine, legitimate revival among the young people in this next generation. And... Uh, and God be glorified. So, so Father, thank you for giving us a little time to consider these things. We do pray that you would make known very clearly, uh, completely unambiguously, whether or not this is in fact your doing, or if the enemy is just trying to uh, sort of persuade people into something that isn't from you. I just pray that, Lord, you'd make it clear that, Father, on the one hand, we would not be undiscerning, and on the other end of the spectrum, that we would not be uh, innately critical automatically and assume nothing is of you, but that we would be in the middle there and just open our Bibles, take a look at what the scriptures say, see what's going on there and give a good proper assessment of it. Um, and if necessary, Lord, help us to just give it time and see what happens. But at the end of the day, we know that you're going to accomplish your purposes. We just pray that, uh, that if it's not right now, that it would become 
And if it is already, let it continue to be something that you're blessing. But if it's not, then we ask you to shut it down. Just close it down entirely and spare all these young people and all the people that are watching on media and social media. Uh, spare them the heartache of being disillusioned by something that turned out not to be a legitimate move of the Holy Spirit. So whichever way this goes, we just pray that you would make yourself known, make your name great, and be glorified. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.